0: Before we start today's show, I could really use your help with something. As you know, Master Brewers is an association run by some of the hardest working folks in the brewing industry. They all have jobs, but also serve the association as volunteers in lots of different ways. I need your help filling a volunteer role that, in my opinion, is one of the simplest but most important jobs. It's super easy, doesn't take much time at all, but is critical to the value of membership and to this podcast. If you're willing to help me out and give back to this incredible association, please take a minute to go to com slash working group to learn more.
1: BrewNinja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code Ninja 21
2: Okay, it smells good, but does it smell like weed? That's the goal. That's what Dr. Dank uh, from Wicked Weed has to be.
3: One dimensional gas chromatography is kind of like looking at the Manhattan skyline from the East River. And our process is a lot like having a drone.
0: This week on the show How Wicked Weed Made a Beer Smell Like Cannabis Without Using Cannabis.
3: I am Ross Hunsinger. I am the Director of Food and Beverage Innovation at Abstracts Tech in Tustin, California.
2: I'm Joe Pawelik, Brewmaster at Wicked Weed Brewing out of Asheville, North Carolina.
0: Abstracts got its start in the cannabis industry. Give us an overview of what Abstracts does and what you were doing in cannabis prior to working with HOPs.
3: Sure, um so abstracts is a flavor house um for all intents and purposes, um and we've been supplying um the vape market primarily um prior to our entry into the hop market. Um, a lot of the work I've done was in the crossover um between uh, consumer packaged goods and um, flavoring them like cannabis without using cannabis compounds. Um, But being that my background is in brewing, uh, very early on saw the crossover uh, in hops as well. So I've been working on this project for about the last six years.
0: This isn't the first time we've talked about terpenes on the show, but you better give us a quick refresher on what terpenes are and why we're interested in them.
3: Sure. Um, So terpenes are responsible for the way all plants smell. Um, They're the volatile organic compounds that exist in every plant on earth. Um, Some plants use them as signaling mechanisms for pollinators, um, others for defense. Um, There's all sorts of applications in the natural world. I like to say it's kind of like the secret language of plants and insects. Um, There's a huge interplay between the two in the natural world. through the lens of what we're talking about today, terpenes are what make uh, both hops and cannabis smell and taste the way they do, part of the way they taste uh, the way they do.
0: So, we've got Joe here from Wicked Weed. Uh, how did the two of you end up working together?
3: Oh, wow.
2: <clears throat> well, I guess it takes us back, Ross, what, about three years um, yeah. since, since we started working together? And, you know, Wicked Weed was looking to do. Um, something like ross was just saying you know be able to uh, find a terpene uh something to kind of boost us into the cannabis realm and uh, obviously through ttb uh we weren't able to push um anything other than than hemp seeds through at the time so uh once i started talking to ross we started r&d and doing benchtop trials uh here at, at wicked weed at, in, in our r&d department and Initially, it was what you would expect—you know, big mercine, um, a a lot of uh, like really high-amplitude products that were some of the things that we volatized early in the brewing process. But there were little hints of what could be maybe recognized a little bit more than dank. Whether it's a a little bit more skunky, uh, a a limonene type approach, and so we knew that there was something there, and so uh, I started that journey with Ross kind of going back and forth on, on what can we use, uh, in in the plant world that has these compounds. And so really for us, it was as as much of a learning curve of trial and error, uh, until we finally landed on a, a few terpenes or as we call them natural flavors, um, to align with the TTB. But, um, it's, it's the beginning and it was the beginning and kind of still is the beginning, um, or, or the tip of the iceberg as we move through lots of different trials of how we're going to make this impactful and, and what it means. And so, yeah, about three years ago, Ross and I started down this, what, what has become a very long and windy road, uh, but also a very exciting and innovative road.
0: Have you, uh, worked with these products in, in, uh lots of different beers or has it been primarily one beer or give us a little bit more background on that
2: yeah so it was really we you know we're an ipa brewery we in and we do a lot of uh farmhouse and, and belgian sours as well but our production facility really cranks out um anywhere from six to eight different ipas uh annually uh that are, that are year-round offerings and so we had a beer named lieutenant dank and it was kind of our you know, more Columbus, Simcoe, uh, Centennial, may- maybe uh, a, a vintage IPA, if you will. And it, it even had... Uh, I love per- that name,
0: by the way. It's yeah. such a good name. Did you come up with that name?
2: <laughs> oh, no. Uh, our I believe it was our head pub brewer at the time. Um, actually, I know that it was our head pub brewer at the time. And uh, when he came up with it, it was gold. Because of course brewers are really good at cleaning but when it comes to to marketing and coming up with a new name especially in this climate it is like the hardest thing so lieutenant dank uh, it yeah it ran its course and and we were trying to expand the brand family and doctor dank was something we you know we were trying to figure out what to do with this you know this innovation that we were working on and what are we going to call it and you know, as we went through so many iterations, it was, okay, we know that we want to do this in an IPA. But when we started, we we had a a, a really aromatic, flavorful uh, IPA, whether it was um, all all the way from uh, West Coast to East Coast, uh, hazy, uh, low session eight, uh, IPAs and things like that. And we just... We we learned after just a few months that we needed to actually go back. We couldn't just throw this uh, product in the bright tank and expect it to be a, a gold medal winner. So um, we really started digging into some of the things that Ross touched on with with terpenes and and the different hydrocarbons that you know we knew that these things exhibit exhibited, exhibited themselves in the beer. But we didn't know exactly how we were coaxing him out, whether it was biotransformation through fermentation or just kind of uh, you know luck of the uh, you know four or five groups of hops that we'd put together in any given batch. And so what we ended up doing was just dialing it all back and, and maybe dry hopping and, and, and hot side hopping um, our beers at. Maybe closer to a pound per barrel, whereas it would have been closer to two two and a half and when we did that we we allowed these terpenes to kind of bloom and fill in pockets, and they are and, and were you know kind of high amplitude and so we had to just it was low amounts, it was very present, and it's kind of the first time that we were seeing some of these compounds that maybe you'd smell the first couple of days of fermentation and then they'd uh, flash off, but we were able to kind of ca- recapture them and put them in the beer and so we knew that we were on to something but the biggest part of the journey was okay it smells good but does it smell like weed that's the goal that's what dr dank uh from wicked weed has to be it has to be um the first thing you think of but it cannot be building or over uh overwhelming you don't want to become so anosmic to it that it's just off putting we want the drinkability and so um as we kind of ran the, the gamut on everything that, um, abstracts had, uh, you know, Ross and I would just kind of talk back and forth on what, what things made sense, where, where we were really trying to get, and can we use other hops to kind of supplement? And that's really what, um, stemmed a lot of what we're going to continue to talk about today, uh, down the journey of hops. But, um, a, a lot of it really was just looking for, um, you know that that light-strunk component, you know the skunk butt. You know that's that's kind of what we are after. Is it smelled fruity and it smelled citrusy and floral, but it just didn't have uh, that fear, uh, you know, aroma in it. Just like whoo, you know that 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 emotion. And so that's that's really where we landed. Um, you know, using uh, kind of a, a blend of one of their products, and so that then manifested itself through a new brand family called Doctor Dank. Uh, which we, we've put out four uh, different varieties now um, since uh, about a year and a half uh, ago, I'd say a year, year and a half ago is when we launched it.
0: Just didn't smell like that modest mouse count concert I went to last week. huh I
2: know. I, I know, and that was, yeah. <laughs> the stars, the stars were not projectors.
0: <laughs> so let's uh, um, I guess Ross, give us some um, give us an overview of the steps in your process what exactly do you do for a large brewery like wicked weed
3: yeah um so i mean the kind of like i alluded to earlier a uh, big part of our uh, special sauce at abstracts is our testing and 3d modeling of any given target profile whether that's cannabis or hops And so that really starts at the farm level and uh, with the relationships to the cultivators of genetics. So the first being, (laughs) it's kind of a fun story, Joe and I have known each other for three years now and worked really closely, but it wasn't until last October when I went out to selection with him and the crew uh, that we got to meet face-to-face. But that was an opportunity for us to gain access to really high-quality aroma hops that we then. Um, run through our proprietary process of analysis Um, and it's uh, you can get pretty into the weeds scientifically here but uh, essentially most of if not all flavor work and flavor development and analysis to this point has been done um, in one dimension on gas chromatography instruments so really simple x y axis with these really not simple peaks that correspond to individual compounds and there's ways to identify those but um what we learned um and what we developed was a technology um that adds uh two dimensions so it gives us a three-dimensional image of all of the compounds um present in either a variety of cannabis or a variety of hops and the, the best metaphor for it is um, one-dimensional one dimensional gas chromatography is kind of like looking at the Manhattan skyline from the East River. You have a sense of the scale, you have a sense of what you're looking at, but you have no idea what's behind it. And our process is a lot like having a drone. We can go behind what you see in the first dimension all the way back and down and to the ground level and So through that, we've identified 400-plus compounds that really haven't been used in flavor science or flavor development to this point, and that's why we're able to get such accurate, um, compelling results on recreating genetics outside of the plant in both cannabis and hops.
0: Joe, maybe talk a little bit about, um, because you're not just using, uh, you know, ross's products you're using his his data right and so talk about uh how the brewery uses ross's data in in its own sensory program yeah so or in any way really
2: yeah in any way in in sensory is is a good place to start because that's really for us in this in the research and development so much of it is it's non-quantitative we're, we're doing one or two batches and then do we go right or, or do we go left and uh, as opposed to a brand that we would do 10 to fifteen thousand barrels of and have lots of good data we use a lot of that to help define um a, a few things that i'll get into but um we're we're looking at this information as a starting point and we're saying, okay, we know um that that these you know this hop blend in this IPA, this six and a half percent uh West Coast IPA would be a good average for Wicked Weed. Um how are we gonna build that and what do we need? Um what what's the direction? Where do we want to go with it? Are we gonna go um down the thiol route? Are we gonna go down a terpene route? Are we going tropical, citrus? Where are the holes at that we want to fill with some of these um, hot products, and it's like Ross is saying there there are you know upwards of four hundred compounds that are just now okay, we know that it's there, but what is it, and how do we describe it? and so when we take this information and data to sensory, we can run analysis on a beer, which we do in general um, within our company and in third parties um, to have these GC readouts to have a starting point. And the, the hardest, and not the hardest, but one of the most challenging um, points at a brewery is, is sensory analysis, clearing a beer, defining true to type for a beer. And so we use this data to kind of help start the conversation. We know that any given uh, aroma so let's pick um orange peel sweet orange peel we know that this is at a a threshold um, based on this oil content so how does that present itself to our general tasters our approved tasters um maybe the the cellarman uh, and the packaging lead releasing a beer for package, do they understand what we mean by sweet orange peel? Um, or are they thinking more of the juicy flesh? Are they thinking more of the rind? Are they thinking more floral like the tree itself? And so it it helps us build the vocabulary to speak to the beer the way that it deserves. But all of that information then can be tracked. And so we use software to to track the sensory and all that. And we can tie those batches to the the GC readouts and and any analysis that we've run on the beer so that we can then say, okay, we knew that this was a good lot of hops or this was a, a really good batch. That's why we're probably doing the study on it. And now we know a little bit more of a reason why this Uh, rated an eight and a half out of 10 in sensory as opposed to maybe the median of six and a half to seven for uh, any true to type brand going out the door so it it is a part of it that that helps there but on a larger scale and not i mean we're not the the biggest uh brewery around or anything we'll we'll do about a hundred thousand barrels this year and it's how do we grow our brands within uh, the AB BEV network at an organic rate so that we're understanding when we go to increase the scale of how much we're brewing in a given batch, how do we guarantee that we're going to kind of keep the soul of it? Our, our, you know What's, what's going to happen if we need to use uh, 2015 centennial instead of 2022 uh, crop year? and And so we can use this data. And if we're preparing it now, it's a much easier conversation to say, look, this isn't true to type. We can run analysis on things. And it takes some of the guesswork out of growing a brand to uh whatever the desired volume is for it so it it hits in the sensory at first but then a lot of that data and year over year uh from taking uh, ross taking samples in uh, at out at selection um, post pelletization after we're using them uh, in the beer and we can kind of see what's happening what's what's leaving that we know, or what we don't know, what's sticking around, how long is it sticking around, and all of these things. Of of course, other than doing it in the name of beer, it just it it really excites and and kind of uh, uh, rustles up all all this curiosity because it then opens up another door or another possibility for us to see just exactly why we're doing what we're doing. And so often you just take it for granted that it's a good grower or a good crop year or a good lot um, for hops. But this is a way that we can, for years to come help continually define or redefine how we use hops here at our brewery.
3: Yeah. And I, you know, personally I've always just to tie into that is I really think the coolest thing for me as a beer and hop nerd is the fact that we're creating a living record um, and like you said, to kind of a trajectory of the lifespan of a hop, you know, we're, we're catching it at selection, we're catching it post pelletization, catching it through storage. Um, we're working through the process now of developing uh, harvest optimization techniques with some of our growing partners as well. Um, actually putting this into the field because like you say, this is kind of the first opportunity we've had to identify what what makes each variety special and really speak to us and then to optimize it from the agricultural side in the field uh, and then post fact be able to put it in the bucket that it belongs cuz we all know things expressed differently in different places and that's fine it's just about understanding what it is that's happening and you know maybe understanding how that fits better into your paint paint brush or your uh, your paint palette as a brewer <music> Coming up. Just another tool in the toolkit, Um, and I think we're starting to look at flavor creation um, in a really new way in brewing, and it's cool to be at the forefront of that.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. (laughs) There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support.
1: Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, Try what's really new in Malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This episode is sponsored by BSG Craft Brewing. Explore a whole universe of hop sensory with unique varieties like Kashmir, Comet, Triumph, Eldorado, and many more. Sourced directly from growers and processed at BSG's FSSC certified facility in Yakima to bring you only the very best hops, from farmer to fermenter. For contracting, spot sales, and more info, reach out to us at letstalkhops at bsgcraft.com. Are you looking to
0: improve yield quality and sustainability in your cellar? Alpha Laval has over 60 years of brewing experience offering centrifuges, de systems, yeast plants, and complete cold block cellar projects designed for the most gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages. Let the leaders in brewing innovation help you meet your greatest production and sustainability goals. Visit alphalaval.us slash mbaa to learn more. Thank you to Brewing with Enzymes by Novazymes For commercial brewers, enzymes can ease filtration, eliminate diacetyl rest, meet attenuation targets, and optimize your raw materials to save on labor. If you're curious to learn more, head over to brewingwithenzymes.com and get 50% off with your first order using discount code MBAA. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Northwest meets May 20th and 21st in beautiful Hood River. District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal May 24th. Don't miss the Master Brewers webinar, How Will Climate Change Affect the Brewing Industry, May 31st. Lab on the Cheap, another Master Brewers webinar, June 8th. I can highly recommend the Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course, which starts July 8th in Madison, Wisconsin. The 2022 Brewing Summit, that's the combined meeting with Master Brewers and ASBC, is August 14th through the 16th in Rhode Island. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Ross presented a slide during your Master Brewers webinar that showed an overlay of an essential oil extraction from a lot of centennial selected by Bells, and then your recreation of that. Explain what exactly you mean when you say recreating hop aroma outside of the plant. I presume you're creating a blend of this much linalool and that much geraniol, etc., to match what you see in in, in that analysis. Are you just extracting each terpene from other plants and then making a custom blend or is there something else going on here
3: yeah so that is one one part of it so um it's kind of it's two parts so that that ties in directly to what we were talking about previously with the analytical portion um so let's use bell's centennial as the example um Lauren's uh wills cut out there was lovely sent me some of their fresh batch um fresh selection whole cone centennial doesn't really get much better than that um we analyze it on our gc get that 3d metabolite and then we extract out an essential oil um that we optimize to our standards and i think this is kind of an important thing to touch on um just because there are extracts and things do exist out there um that are that are pure oils but it, you know one of the limitations of extraction is how clean you can pull fractions and how clean you can make those fractions as you well know there's uh, a lot of things that get extracted um through distillation a lot of different compounds and flavors that you really don't necessarily want in a in a finished product so Um, chlorophyll notes kind of dirty underlying lower amplitude um, compounds that kind of muddy um, the real notes of what you're looking for uh, we turn down or amplify as needed Um, and then we overlay that um, variety specific profile over um, an extraction of hops Um, that allows for, uh, like Joe was mentioning, biotransformation possibilities. And kind of, um, for lack of a better way of describing, kind of keeps it true to the plant in the same way that there's a a warmth that you get from a vinyl record that you don't get from an MP3. It's kind of intangible, but it feels more plant-like and from a technical standpoint, offers more opportunity for... Biotransformation through fermentation, so
0: okay now, um, I imagine that like your um, analytical process that maybe some of this is proprietary, but what else can you tell us in regards to sort of how it's made I mean are are these um, when you're when you're sending uh, a terpene product to Joe, are those terpenes generated um, exclusively from hops or are they coming from other Um, other plants or how does that work
3: um so in the case of the hops it's a little bit of both right so it's some hops and then it's some botanically derived terpenes um we also do offer um are are working on a whole hop offering um, with a couple of our different um cultivation partners in the space really it's been about developing um our access to the raw feedstock to work with um in that space so for the hops it's partially hop Compounds and then it's partially botanically derived terpenes and other flavor compounds. Um, for the cannabis flavors, it is pretty much all terpenes and other flavor compounds. Um, no hop, hop compounds in that clearly. So,
0: Joe, in the webinar, you mentioned that because Ross's product is so concentrated, it can be a little tricky to do benchtop trials. Do you want to talk about that?
2: Sure, um, a lot of the initial trials we were getting, and in, in, I love Ross's analogy with uh, the the analog versus digital, the the record player versus the MP3, because it was so, in part because it was concentrated. We we needed to use less, uh, probably than we did the first time, but it was also very defined what you were smelling. You weren't getting all of the orange uh like i was saying earlier you were getting just a piece of it and so, and that really kind of led us down the the rabbit hole of how we blended in our different hops to kind of get a little bit more amplitude out of it um in in different amplitude but those bench tops were the the quickest way for us uh just to tincture uh with a with a pipette uh, pipetter um th- these very small amounts and so really what it was is we were trying to do it in a a 16 ounce pint when in reality we needed to be doing it in a half barrel we needed to be doing it on our three barrel uh pilot brewery because it just it it not only is is concentrated but like some other products out there uh some some hop extracts they, they just need to sit for a little bit they just need to kind of mingle uh spread out a little bit, sitting there uh, in a bright tank for, especially in R&D, for a few days to see how it develops. And we always have to think forward two, three weeks from when our beer leaves our facility to when it gets to the the customer, what are they going to uh, experience? We don't want it to be maybe what we experience when we dose uh, some of these flavors in the bright tank. It's a little high amplitude, but In two or three weeks, it's had time to homogenize and um, probably oxidize a little bit. And then it's the true representation. And so it was figuring out where we're going to be in two weeks after package. How much do we put in now? Do we like what we put in now? And how does it present itself in two weeks, aromatically uh, and, and influential with the flavor? And so... When we go to package a brand like Dr. Dank at the brewery, um, it is very, very aromatic. Everybody's looking over their shoulder, and it's, it's it smells like a dispensary. But when we drink that beer after package, after you know two to three weeks is when we really like tasting our, our brands for true to type. We find that when we crack the can, you have a very pleasant uh, yet assertive top note that is exactly... What your intention is. And now I'm talking a little bit about cannabis, but this is very much leading into some of these optimized hop extracts that Ross is talking about, because we want to, you know, think of a consumer cracking a can or cracking a bottle, regardless of if they're pouring it in a glass. The first thing that I always do is I just give it a little sniff. And that is your first impression. So we're working on developing some of these top notes to be exactly what our intention is. And, and some of these hot flavors really do deliver. And we're, again, really just figuring out what are the, the combinations that we really enjoy? What, what is the, the goal of this beer um, in, in a scenario like that? <laughs>
0: All right. Um, Joe, talk about some of the early lessons you learned as you began trialing these products. I believe you have sort of a less is more type of example.
2: Um. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of, and it's and it really stinks that we, we couldn't trial, um, you know, with hemp uh, or, or something early on because it, it probably would have expedited some of our trial and error. Um, but there were you know several several batches where again we would just have this really really aggressive um pine saw just pine and orange in your face uh just the opposite of what our intention was and so really the you know the, the the takeaway was less is more, but really in the process, where do we where does it need to go? Because we were doing this towards the end of dry hop, we were doing it uh, in line transferring to the bright tank, we were doing it when we when we uh, get the the all in bat the batch all in, uh, and, and then dose it with a cellar keg and even then we were seeing some stratification. We were seeing inconsistencies throughout the package run. So then it delved into, are we going to research the tank? How are we going to approach this without, uh, because we know they're so volatile, we don't want to uh, throw them in the tank and then carve it from two, five, five to two, six, and then flash out uh, thousands of dollars uh, for no reason. And that really, um, it, it, it and that's the kind of the fun part of my job and r&d in general is is we take a concept but it's it's just as much uh developing a brand when it goes to a production to our production facility and we can work through some of these um yeah just technical processes and and see what works what doesn't there are metrics that we want to hit um locally and you know things that that we're really trying to, um, you know, build out to be consistent. And so we have to have a safe process for for all of it and a repeatable process. And and we struggle from time to time with a, a new brand where we're figuring it out just like anybody does when they're brewing the same beer multiple times. Uh, but especially through a lot of the, the trial and error and knowing that um, if, absolutely in brewing is you can always add more, but you can't take it away. And, um, and, and for that, I have a thousand stories that usually need to be shared in person over a few beers. Um, cause I, d- <laughs> I don't want to lose my job or disappoint my previous employers, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, that's the beauty of these products is that, um, you're able to use such a small amount that you can just kind of, yeah, do a bench top, Taste it, let it sit for a couple of days, have another one that's maybe twice uh, the milliliters per barrel equivalent, and you're you're on to something so the excitement of these different hot products that that abstracts is offering um yeah it it it's gonna help kind of uh uncover the veil and we're gonna really have clarity into how do we do this years from now? How do we do this if there are crop years that are um subpar uh are we, we we're not able to get the the lot of centennial that we had last year um things like that and so it's it's kind of as we grow how are we able to blend all of these things together to keep the um you know the line on the graph just straight and and, and not see so many spikes
0: cool um We haven't talked about thiols much, which I presume are not part of the blends from abstracts. Joe, do you feel that you get more traction out of augmenting terpenes versus trying to maximize thiols?
2: I don't know if I'm the right person to speak to this but I am am so deep in both um, terpenes and thiols and I'm glad that I had the the introductory course um, with a lot of these terpenes to kind of understand uh, the volatility to understand just the uh, the the very you know very soft um, delicate products and and compounds that you know we were, were, we're wanting these things to stick around, but we know that throughout the just just the hot side and in fermentation, we're losing, you know, so many of these terpenes that maybe we're just not accustomed to it. And maybe that's not um, a bad thing and, and maybe it's not a good thing, but it's that's how we need to investigate it. And then as far as thiols go, um, you know, working with companies like Omega and products like Phantasm, these, you know, thiol-rich compound. Uh, or, or products, it's, again, it's just, you know, it's kind of like I'm climbing back up a new hill um, that I just want to get to the top to see what's next. And, and I know that between um, working with companies like, like Abstracts um, and, and working with uh, different East companies and, and really just nerding out as, as, as much as possible within um, our, our air quote craft segment of Anheuser-Busch we are very much able to collaborate and get ideas to help drive some of this innovation and, and be ahead of it, not be so so reactive. And, and a lot of times, and our brewery will be uh, 10 years this year, 10 years old this year. We're just now getting to a point where we're able to produce enough that we're not just like trying to fill orders in a sense. It's okay. Now we can really be, um, putting the time, energy, and money into, uh, innovation, research and development to be, uh, helping companies, uh, like abstracts and, and smaller local yeast companies. And, um, especially with thials, some of our local maltsters and, um, different local, well, not so much local, uh, hot vendors here, but, um, Trying to figure out where we go next because there are sure uh, just a few um, recognized ingredients in beer, but we are are so uh, far behind as compared to the cannabis industry on on what we can unlock, and it's just up to us to figure out how we're going to unlock it so that we can again speak to beer and protect it so that uh, yeah future generations can have access to the same. Uh, flavor profiles, or even better, new and innovative uh, flavor profiles for beer.
0: So, Russ, I—I I, correct me if I'm wrong. I assume that your 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 products are, are don't have files in them, but I'm guessing that your instrumentation probably um, is uh, allowing for maybe some some um, a different perspective on analysis of thiols I do you want to talk about that at all
3: uh yeah i mean we have a super wicked thiol detector on our machine on our instrument um so that's definitely something that um does go into it and again i think what we're what we offer in that department i there are minor sulfuric compounds outlying sulfurs and there are some thiols in what we do um in the in the hop stuff um, t- really though the biggest opportunity there and kind of what joe is speaking to i think is the the whole hop and identifying the compounds that are for lack of a better term term more most ripe for picking um you know um and i am a personal huge fan of stuff like phantasm um i am a complete nerd for all of the beers that folks are making with them uh, i think it's radical stuff and i think they're looking at it in a in the right way because you know again i really do look at everything every product on offer in the space as just another tool in the toolkit Um, and i think we're starting to look at flavor creation um, in a really new way in brewing and it's cool to be at the forefront of that
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, I just want to bring that back to something that Joe mentioned earlier. You know, um, I I believe you've got to um, put natural flavors on on your label uh, when you're working with these products. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong about that. But um, uh, Joe, uh, how uh, was that much of an obstacle for you to overcome? Uh, Was it really just not that big of a deal? Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, those decision points and and sort of the, you know, how that process unfolded.
2: Yeah, so you know luckily when when the farm bill passed um you know we were we were able to uh, really increase hemp production and there there were a lot of I don't know not I don't want to say illusions of grandeur, but it was like, all right, we can put uh, hemp on the label, uh, terpenes, uh, you know all these things and and really the the TtB isn't recognizing uh, hemp as an approved ingredient um, for beer other than hemp seeds and so um it 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 was and and first of all, it was how do we get a water soluble um product and you know we we it, these non ethanol flavorings nefs um you know it's really how do we get a uh you know work with a company to get a uh, a flavor ingredient data sheet or a fid, and that is what we would present and attach when when submitting a formula and I think that because there is more a watchful eye, uh, we're a part of a a bigger parent company. There's definitely more um, legal action and and all that stuff. So... You know, we weren't going to risk putting terpene uh, on on anything. We weren't going to risk putting hemp on a, a label, and so it was just a bunch of different iterations. And and to kind of speak to our stubborn nature here at Wicked Weed, it was like, okay, let's let's try and get through just you know what would be the probably the the most uh, aggressive way. and you know, let's do it the way we want to say it and and present it. and then we just chip away and work work backwards from that. And so it then just became um sure, we could do you know say natural flavors. Um, really, it's uh, as much as And important as a label is and brand identity and all that I am a brewer. And so I don't care what the label looks like. If I like the beer, I'm going to drink it again and, and move on with my life. And so that was kind of the motivation um, on our end is, you know, we have an awesome, we have a killer product that we want everybody to try and hopefully it motivates them uh, especially in in the brewing community um, to, to, to keep this going because this is just the beginning of and um, working it through the TTB. Sure. It was somewhat of a challenge, but once you kind of figure out the um, you know, the right process and, and you know, kind of the the steps to get a, a brand like this certified um, uh, approved for, for, for a label application, then um, we were just on it from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think, you know, you, you meet some brewers that are, you know, they wouldn't dream of putting natural flavors on their label. Uh, and then you meet others that, you know, are, are fine with it. And, um, I am with you. I think it's all about the, the quality of the product. And I think in the end, um, most consumers, uh, don't care as long as it, it you know it's a quality product it tastes the way they want and uh you know and of course you know price point and all these other things but mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day they don't really care so much about that but um, that's just my my personal opinion um joe I just wanted to we didn't talk a lot about sort of um addition points you know how how you're using um, these types of products and uh, i I don't know did you want to comment at all sort of on um i i think you've you've you mentioned you alluded to sort of using this a lot in the in, in bright beer uh, in the bright beer tanks um, right do you do you um, have you considered or have you trialed other parts of the process and um, maybe maybe comment on that a little bit
2: Sure. So the the best application and, and, and best uh, point of entry for these products for us has been in the bright tank and, and into bright beer uh, before before package and before just kind of a, a touch up of carb Um just to kind of get get things homogenous um, in, in the whole tank, and so we did a uh, trial at several different points. Uh, we don't filter; we just centrifuge the beer, and we noticed that um, you know through trialing it on the production level or at the production level. Uh, we did notice a huge, yeah, diminishing return of the centrifuge pulling out some of these um, more volatile aromas, whether it was through an ejection um, or kind of the startup of a run. And um, it, it just didn't um, equate to what we wanted. And we just really leaned into figuring out uh, to kind of go back to sensory, where were people enjoying it the most? Was it high amplitude in the bright tank? Sure. Um but we noticed two to three weeks down the road that things mellowed out. We had a very well balanced and, and tasteful beer um, That's not to say that there's uh plenty of trial and error still to come um especially touching on on thiols. um you know there there was a time that I would get fired for making a beer hazy and throwing hops in the mash and now that's cool, so I'm kind of at a loss for things that are um, considered uh, common practice and things that are experimental, and it's it's again just a really exciting time to trial these things out and I would always recommend if you have the means to do it to trial these uh, products out in different points of the brewing process to to see if it's what works for you and what um, is is you know kind of your um, mark on the continued. Uh, research and development of of these products, which very much will be uh, in, important in the future, and more than likely the the near future.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the first person that uses it in the whirlpool or hot side or something. I was actually legitimately having that conversation this morning with someone about practical application. And I was like, you know, it's a cold side product, but I promise you, there's going to be someone. That puts it in a whirlpool, or there's going to be someone that does something completely different with that. And I, right, it's cool. It's kind of the same way I feel about like electric cars. We're in the, the hot rod phase of electric cars where we were in the 50s and 40s with internal combustion engines. And I think it's a really cool thing to have all these little go fast bolt on parts and ways to make it your own for, for the industry. And I, I hope that's what we're doing. <laughs>
0: That was Joe Pawelik and Ross Hunzinger here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to hear more on this topic, check the show notes for a link to the Master Brewers webinar. Of Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.